at it. Don't! Quark! Caesar! It just looks delicious. Caesar, still! No, I didn't eat it. The girls managed to resist temptation and leave the cake alone. Now for the boys. What is that for? This is just um, Olive's cake for later. Okay, so I've just got, I've got to leave it there. No, it's Olive's cake for later. Leave it as it is. So in that sort of situation, what you really need to do is to get away from the source of the temptation, and some boys did that. What Olfie did was the worst thing possible, which is to sit himself over the cake and, and smell it and look at it. This makes my mouth Starts there, mate. <laughs> Shall we lick the top? So that's. Oh my god! <laughs> Yum, eat. If don't take that chocolate. Yeah, leave it now. Yeah, now Except... leave it. No! Oh, sorry. I love the fact that touching the cake or altering its appearance in any way is treated with moral outrage by our group of boys, but licking it isn't. And I think this tells us something really important about their moral world. They don't care about doing wrong, but they do care about getting caught. Don't you just love TV shows like that? That's just brilliant. Um, that is, I think that's the secret life of five-year-olds. So, you know, if you've got a, a free evening, have a watch of that, it's brilliant. Um, the, way that they, the reason why it's so funny is partly because they're kind of interacting with each other and trying to make good choices, but they are, after all, only five years old. Uh, and so at that stage of life, what they're doing is they're, they're kind of testing the boundaries uh, and uh, they can't really control their impulses without any filter or, or constraints. They kind of respond to their own instincts. Uh, for me, growing up, um, if you had asked my mum for a word to describe me as a teenager, the two words that would quickly come out of her mouth would be stubborn and defiant. Those would be the words that she would use, stubborn or defiant. I know you can't imagine that that would be the case, but that's what she would say. Uh, and I won't go into the catalogue of examples, um, but I certainly was someone who wanted to push the boundaries. Uh, I certainly didn't enjoy being told what to do or what not to do. Uh, and, if, and if I was ever asked to not do something, that was just an invitation for me to crack on and see what happens. Um, on one such occasion, I was so incensed that I was being punished for something that I did. Uh, I wasn't allowed to go on a day trip with my siblings. Mum was taking us out to Alton Towers. Uh, and I was so incensed that I was going to have to stay at home uh, with my dad that what I decided to do was I decided to sit in the middle of our street behind my mum's car on the driveway, arms crossed, legs crossed, so that she could not reverse out. And I just sat there. Dad was pootering around somewhere. He wasn't at home at the point, that time. And there I was, just standing, sitting even, behind the car, not allowing her 
to reverse. And it was only when she actually turned the engine on and started to move. At that point, I thought, goodness me, I she's called my bluff there, fair play. Um, she does love me, by the way. She is lovely. It's all good. Um, but that was the kind of defiance that I demonstrated. More than anything else at that time of my life, I hated being told what to do. I hated the idea that I couldn't do whatever I wanted. My life was my own. I was free to do whatever I pleased, even if it meant completely irrational behavior like sitting behind your mum's car. And so the question that we're going to look at this morning is, does God just want to limit my freedom? Does God just want to limit my freedom? We're in a series called Ask God, and we're looking at different questions uh, over the next few weeks, questions that people here in Bristol have uh, about God. And so this morning, we're going to be thinking about, does God just want to limit my freedom? I think it's fair to say that freedom is, is, has been this quest that, that humanity has gone for p- to pursue what it really means to be free. It's inspired thinkers, it's inspired philosophers, leaders, artists, uh, to find out and theorize what freedom is and how can we experience it. Ideologies, religions have formed their system of beliefs around the pursuit of freedom. Movements and campaigns have been established to bring about freedom in different ways. And the idea of freedom has become this kind of like a baseline cultural narrative of our Western culture today. It's always been important, this idea of freedom, but now it seems to have ultimate importance. It is, for some people, the only moral imperative we have left. And so freedom has become this absolute value, this unshakable right that everyone has. And so here's just a couple of expressions in popular culture of what the world says freedom might be. Some of you may be familiar with the 1990s Woody Allen film, Bullets Over Broadway, in which one of the characters says to another this, an artist creates their own moral universe. The heart obeys its own rules. Or perhaps if you weren't Uh, either born in the 1990s or too young, something a bit more current and up to date is I know a classic, which is the Disney film Frozen. I'm not going to sing it, but I know that's disappointing, but Elsa says this. She says, it's time to see what I can do. Stop tapping your feet. To test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. (laughs) And, And... What we see in our baseline cultural narrative of definition, you can find them in those words. The idea of following your own will, your own desires to to test the limits without any care for rules. You create your own moral universe. That's what the world says, in which you set the agenda. Freedom to the world is my will be done. I'm not constrained. I can do whatever I want. And for many people, the arch enemy to that kind of definition of freedom is Christianity. The arch enemy to that kind of definition is Jesus, perhaps. Certainly in in our Western culture, with, with that kind of narrative, that kind of definition of what freedom is, 
To be a Christian would seem to be limiting that kind of freedom. The idea of having a relationship with Jesus seems to be a challenge, a radical challenge, on someone's personal freedom. The idea that you would recognize your own insufficiency and your need to follow something greater than yourself, for many people, is a radical challenge to your own freedom. And so the question is really, is a relationship with Jesus Christ a radical challenge to our freedom? Does that mean you really can't be free if you are a Christian? And in one sense, you could argue that that's true. But in the very same breath, it's false. And so we're going to look at a passage from the Bible together in in John chapter 8. If you've got a Bible with you, you can turn to John chapter 8. It's also going to appear on the screen. Um, And this is little encounter between Jesus and some Jews that he's speaking to. And so we're going to read in John chapter 8, verses 31 through to 37. To the Jews who had believed him... Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm just going to pray and then we're going to get cracking. God, we pray that as we hear your word and as we consider what freedom is. We pray, would you help us to understand more of the freedom that you offer us? Help us to see, Jesus, your freedom that you offer us this morning. Help us to experience it, to know it deep in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So when Jesus is speaking to his interrogators or the audience that he's speaking to, These Jews, they were saying to Jesus, we're the descendants of Abraham. We've never been slaves of anyone. And you might be thinking, and maybe people who were listening in might be thinking, what in the world they were on about? Because if if you know anything about the history of the Jews, they, they had experienced slavery in so many different ways. They'd been once slaves in Egypt. The the Hebrews had been slaves in Babylon. And, and even at the time that Jesus was around, they certainly weren't politically free because they were kind of under the boot of, of the Roman Empire at the time. And yet, in an interesting way, they have this sense in which they've never been slaves before. It's, it's a fascinating comment from them. And, and part of that is because they have this sense that they had asserted themselves, that they were holding on to their their cultural identity. They were Abraham's descendants and had never been in slavery. They were almost defiant, in a way, 
And in a similar way, we, we have something similar in our cultural narrative too. There's, there's a notion that in some way, in our Western world, we're entitled to a life of freedom without constraints. Freedom in our culture today is that idea of, of testing limits and breaking through. No rules for me. And so you could say, well, what, what's wrong with that kind of freedom? What's wrong with that definition of freedom, to do whatever you want. But if you think about it more, you come to realize that actually that definition of freedom is just not workable. In fact, it's not how freedom works at all. Let me just give you an example uh, just to help us. Here's a man in his 60s, let's say, and he, he likes to eat what he wants whenever he wants. He's a bit of a foodie, uh, and so he likes to regularly go out and meet with his friends and eat rich food in the evenings. It's, it's very satisfying for him. It's not a superficial desire. He genuinely enjoys it. it. It's a regular part of his daily delight and joy. But a doctor comes along and takes a look at him one day and says, unless you severely restrict what you eat, you're going to end up having some health issues, you're going to experience some heart problems, and you're going to end up having a rather shorter life. Now the question that we're left with is this. What is freedom for that man in that context? And you say, well, freedom is to do whatever he pleases, whenever he wants. But here's the problem. He wants to live. He wants to live a good, long, happy, healthy life. And so what we find is the desire to regularly eat nice, expensive food in the week conflicts with this other desire that he has, that he wants to live a long and happy life, healthy life. His, his desires conflict. They even contradict. And, and so one of the main problems with defining freedom as doing whatever you want, doing what you can do without limitations, is that actually what we find is when you think about it more, your desires conflict with each other. And so then you realize actually you have to choose between desires. You have to, to think about which are the liberating desires and which are the enslaving desires. For this man, he has to make a choice, doesn't he? He has to decide, am I going to give up eating rich, expensive food in the week, or am I going to choose a long and healthy life? He, they, they, they conflict. He has to make a decision. Both on the face of it are freedoms, but they come against each other. And so the reality and the problem with defining freedom as just do whatever you want is that actually... There are freedoms. There's not just freedom. There is not just absolute freedom. There is a choice. There are freedoms. There is a decision to make for this man because to, to, to choose to live a healthy, long life conflicts with his other desire of wanting to eat good food all the time. And so he has to make a decision. He has to, make a, he has to choose to strategically lose some freedoms for the benefits of others. Does that make sense? So you have to choose, strategically choose, I'm not going to do that in order that I can experience this. So he strategically loses eating rich food all the time because he knows that if he does that, he's going to live a longer, healthier life. 
That's actually how freedom works. It's not the absence of all constraints, but it's actually finding the liberating constraints that propel you forwards. That's what freedom does. If you think of an Olympic athlete, for instance, what's the goal of the Olympic athlete? Is to win the Olympic gold in their discipline or sport. And to achieve that, to achieve that freedom, that ecstasy of success, they have to sacrifice other pleasures, other freedoms that they might want to engage with. So they, they choose the right food to eat. They, they follow the program. They set aside immediate pleasure and joy without constraints offers them in order to achieve ultimate satisfaction and freedom. It's just too simplistic to say that freedom is just my will be done. The absence of restraints, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. It's too simplistic to think like that. There is no absolute freedom, but there is a choice of freedoms And you have to decide which ones are the liberating ones, which ones are going to help you and carry you forward. But even then, and those of you who have organized minds will already be planning, okay, I'm going to do like a pros and a cons list, I'm going to look at all my desires and work out which ones are the liberating ones and which ones conflict. But even then, it actually still sells you short. You can do all of that, but it's still leaves us short. And that's because to experience real freedom is not just a process. It's not just a process of pros and cons. Someone who subscribes to the idea, that idea of freedom is just responding to their own desires, their own self-assertion without any care for anyone else or anything else. And what that means is that they will never actually experience the freedom of being in a loving relationship. However you define freedom, there is nothing that compares to being in a loving relationship. And that's because at our our deepest human level, that's what we were created for. We were created for relationship, and and I'm not just talking about romantic relationships, relationships with friends, communities, family, That's what we've been ultimately created for. And it's likely that you've experienced that kind of relationship before, the security and the freedom that comes when you walk into a room and you know everyone. I'm sure you can think of it. When you go home for Christmas this year and you have that opportunity to spend time with family, there's hope and there's security and there's freedom because you don't have to pretend to be anyone anymore. You don't have to try and project yourself and try and become more impressive. You can just be free. They all know you, don't they? My family know me. I'm an absolute rat bag at home. I, have, you know, there's just, I don't hold back. They all know all my flaws, all my faults. And so we can just exist together. And there's freedom in that. There's freedom in, in a loving relationship. Contrast that to when you walk into a room and you don't know anyone and you just walk in sheepishly, or perhaps it's an interview, and you just don't know anyone, you're trying to put your your best self forward. It's such a contrast between being in a loving relationship where you experience freedom. There's security that comes with that. There's freedom that comes with that. But the minute you get into a relationship like that, and the deeper that relationship goes, and the more intimate that relationship gets, and the more wonderful it gets, 
the more you realize is that you have to give up your independence. The more you realize you have to give up your independence. So Sarah, I'm married to Sarah, and uh, we're having a baby in like just under a month, uh, which is, yeah, pretty crazy. Talk about freedom. I'm, I'm, I'm at this existential crisis where I can, can no longer do whatever I want. Um, and I can't just turn to Sarah on a Friday evening and say, right, I'm off for the weekend. You know, you sort yourself out. I'll take the car and we'll just work it out. She's like eight months pregnant. She can't really do anything right now. So I have to actually help her, which is probably a good thing for me to do. Uh, but I can't just nip off for the weekend. Not only is it inconvenient for her, but it's just, I'm just not looking after her. I can't go quoting at her, you know, the words of Frozen, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm gone, I'm free. That's just not going to work. I'll get a slap for that. The freedom of love, the freedom of a loving relationship means that both people say this to each other, I will adjust for you, I will change for you, I will give up my freedom for you, I will serve you even if it means a sacrifice for me. And it's in with that kind of environment that actually we find real freedom. When two people, rather than self-serving or self-giving, you experience a glimpse of what we were created for. The Bible's definition of freedom is your life is actually not your own. And in a similar way, Jesus is saying something like this in chapter 8 where we read before And Jesus wants us to know that we've been made for a relationship with him. He says this, if we just nip back to the text, he says, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus says, if you follow me, if you you hear what I say, then you will know the truth, and it's that truth that will set you free. He's inviting you into a relationship with him. And then he goes on to use a fascinating image, an image of of a family home. He says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so he uses this picture of of a family home. Think kind of Downton Abbey style, you know, this old manor house sitting in the countryside on the estate under the leadership of the head of the estate. And there are all sorts of people living in this manor house. There There are sons and there are daughters. There are other members of family and then there are servants, and they, they all tend to live downstairs. Um, and so you might be a servant in this house, living uh, in the home. You might even have a good relationship with the head of the estate, but he is ultimately still your boss. He's not your father. And you're, you're on really good terms with the boss because you're doing your duty. But if you're not doing your duty, then you're you're out of there, quick as a flash. You're not doing your job. And that's why Jesus says a slave has no permanent place in the family. However, a son does. And what Jesus is trying to differentiate is what does it look like to be a son and what does it mean to be a slave or a servant? And here's, 
here's the reality that Jesus is touching on. Everyone, everyone is actually worshipping something. You all live for something. We all live for something. And what Jesus is saying, whatever that is, is actually your master. You might not call it worship, but if it's the main thing that you find security and significance in, if, it, if it's the thing that gives you hope, it's actually your master. If anything goes wrong with it, you have a meltdown. If anything gets in the way of it, you get furious about it. If you fail it in some way, you actually end up beating yourself up about it. And here's the crux of the problem that Jesus is trying to communicate. If you don't live for God, then you will live for something else, as if it were a God. And whatever that God is, it will be your master, and it will actually never satisfy you. Your career will never satisfy you. Your education, your achievements will never satisfy you, ultimately. You will always come away disappointed if you make those things your God. You will actually become a slave to it. That's what Jesus says. You will actually become a slave to those things. And Jesus says, if you become a slave to those things, then you have no permanent place in the home. So Jesus is saying, whatever you worship, whatever gives you most significance and security is the thing that can actually enslave you. And it enslaves you because it will never satisfy you. You will never get out of it what you want. You become, like Jesus described, a slave with no permanent place. And actually, you can take that image even further in this instance, and you can see the warning is not just for those who, who perhaps haven't made Jesus their Lord and say they aren't in a relationship with God, but actually there's a warning for those that are Christians here as well. You see, we can rock up to church on a Sunday and do our duty, and what God, as Jesus is saying, is actually, that's no more than just slave mentality. We can just see our relationship with God as just an interaction, and we are just servants in the home. You know, many Christians can live like that. There's not actually that intimacy of relationship. You just do your duty, you turn up on a Sunday, you put the chairs out, you do your thing, you come up and preach, whatever it is. You do your quiet time, you pray, whatever it is, all because you're hoping that somehow God's going to bless you in it. It's slave mentality. If I do my duty, if I fulfill this criteria, then, then God will have to bless me. And Jesus is challenging that. And you're saying, that's not how it works. That's not how a relationship with me works. He's saying that God doesn't want to be your boss. He wants to be your father. And a son or a daughter understands that there's nothing they can do for God to love you more, and there's nothing you can do for God to love you less. It's unconditional. This love, the love that Jesus has for you is unconditional. And here's what Augustine writes about humanity's slavery to sin. He says, He that becomes protector of sin shall surely become its prisoner. When you fight, when you, when you try and do your duty, you become a protector of sin. When you, 
worship the idols in your life and they are the things that you find satisfaction in, you become a prisoner. In fact, those things will actually come and crush you. Here's what Russell Brand says. Not often put Russell Brand and Augustine together, uh, but this is what he says. We have been taught that freedom is the freedom to pursue our petty, trivial desires. Real freedom is freedom from those things. And here's what Jesus offers us instead. If you follow my teaching, you are my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He says, so if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Jesus essentially is saying this. I am the only Lord and Master that if you get me, I will satisfy you. And if you fail me, I'll forgive you. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm the only Lord and Master that if you get me, if you receive me, then I will satisfy you. But if you fail me, if you mess up, I'm not going to treat you like I'm a boss. I'm going to forgive you. Because the reality is the other things that you invest your time in can't do that. They will never satisfy you and they will never have the ability to forgive you. Your career can't die for your sins. Your money can't die for your sins. Your family can't die for your sins. At the very end of of that passage that we read, Jesus says, I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me. And we just see a little insight into, into what Jesus is thinking about. And the fact of the matter is, is that the cross is never far away from Jesus' mind because that is the way that he liberates us. If you, if you remember what I said about being in a, in a loving relationship, that's what God's inviting us into. And so you might be sitting here this morning, you're thinking, well, He's inviting us into that relationship, but if God has all the power and God doesn't need to change and it's just me that needs to change and it's me that needs to submit, I have to do all the repenting, I have to do all the change, then that sounds to me like a bit of an abusive or exploitative relationship. And actually in other religions that might be the case, but not in Christianity because when when Jesus says here, I will set you free because I'm going to die, That breaks the paradigm that God is just a ruling, malevolent boss. Jesus is saying, I'm the son of God. And when he came to earth as a human being and and going to the cross and dying for our sins, what Jesus is demonstrating in the face of our own self-assertment and free will, what Jesus is demonstrating is, I will adjust for you. I will change for you. I will give up my freedom for you. Him being nailed to the cross, torn to pieces, mocked, rebuked. The Son of God, God himself, on our behalf, giving up his freedom. I will make the sacrifice for you. I will enter into this love relationship with you so that you will finally be free It's in his death and in his resurrection that we have been released from sin 
and captivity. It's, it's the place where we find true freedom. It's the only way to be liberated. It's the only way to experience real freedom. To strategically lose some freedoms in order to gain eternal life. When we see Jesus, we see a God who is, who is not limiting our freedom, but in fact is, is joining himself to you. And he's saying, at the cross, I identify with you. I take your sin upon me and I join myself to you. The freest human being, the freest being in the universe, Jesus Christ, he joins us to him. It's a God who, who gave up his freedom for you, sacrificed his life so that we could enter into a relationship. Another writer in the New Testament, Paul, said this. He said, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves again be burdened by a yoke of slavery. When you enter a relationship with Jesus, you experience incredible freedom, security, unconditional love, acceptance from past pain and hurt. It's the freedom that you experience when you enter a loving relationship, except what you're doing is you're experiencing a relationship with the one who made you and knows you. That's what he's offering. And so there's, a, there's an opportunity to respond. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Uh, and there's an opportunity for us to respond this morning. When I was 18 years old, I gave my life properly to Jesus. I grew up in a Christian family, but it didn't really make much sense to me. And I was essentially just doing my duty, rocking up to church. Didn't feel like I had a relationship with God. And when I was 18, I gave, I somehow understood something of what Jesus had done for me. I'd looked in other places for satisfaction and hadn't found it anywhere. And I was thirsty. I was thirsty to understand what freedom was, how to experience it in my life. And, and the pastor, I was, someone invited me to church, uh, and I sat down, and they preached uh, about freedom. And then they read a passage from Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to read this now, because actually the way to experience freedom is to enter this loving relationship with Jesus but then it's the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's how we experience freedom. And I, as I was preparing it, I was thinking of two, two groups of people. Perhaps you're a visitor this morning, or perhaps you're a guest. Perhaps you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. And this is a question that you've, you've asked. And actually, the whole idea of freedom and, and being in a relationship with God doesn't make any kind of sense. But perhaps you've been thinking for it, about it for a while. Perhaps you're a little bit like me in that opening story about sitting behind the car, just stubbornly crossing your legs and defiant. I'm just not even going to consider it. And actually, the invitation is, is for, you, for you to actually consider what Jesus has done for you, to consider the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he came to do, to consider the love that he has for you. There's also another group of people um, and I definitely fall into this category, uh, which is uh, sometimes it just doesn't feel like we're experiencing freedom on a day-to-day -day life. Many people just feel thirsty. They feel dry. They, 
You've just kind of fallen into that duty, that slave mentality of just doing what you're supposed to do and not experiencing the intimate relationship that Jesus has to offer. I know I I feel like that all the time. And I expect there are other people here who are like that. And and they read, the pastor, when I was 18 years old, this is what what they read. And uh, it's going to help us, hopefully, to experience freedom. This is what he says. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And so I'm just going to invite us to stand because I, as I was preparing it, I, I felt like there was a moment for, for many, many people to, to ask the Holy Spirit to come like living water, like pouring water on dry land. Actually, you felt like you haven't experienced freedom or intimacy with God for a while. And there's an opportunity to do that this morning. Or perhaps for some of you, it might be actually a first step in saying, I want to explore more about what this freedom that Jesus has to offer. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing together. But I just encourage you, as, as we're praying, as we're singing, why don't you just open your heart to God? Ask him, God, would you come by your Holy Spirit and refresh me this morning? Would it be like a waterfall of love and grace that is poured out over me? Would I experience freedom again? So God, we, we ask as you promise in, in the Bible, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And that we want to experience that in our lives. We want to experience what it really means to be free, free from sin, free from addiction, free from bad habits, free from broken relationships, that we want to experience life and life to the full. And so God, we ask by your Holy Spirit, would you come and would you pour into us so that we might see you as our Father and not our boss. We're going to sing together, but why don't we just respond to that?